0: Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. We can shuffle if we need to. Are these on? I think they're on. Um, Is it? I think so, yeah. Sounds good. Um, So I feel like a lot of people here will know about your career as a musician, but maybe not so much about a writer because this is the the first time you've been published here. Mm. I wondered whether the intention was always to be one or the other or whether one kind of overtook the other how the two kind of have worked in tandem?
2: Well, when I was younger, I wanted to write. So I didn't even know that I could be a musician. And I just have to also say that, sorry for looking so stupid. Uh, there is a reason why I'm sitting in this funny position, but that has nothing to do with writing though. Um, when, I, when I was younger, I didn't think of music as something I could do at all. Um, so I always wanted to be a writer. And I think I still felt that way when this book came out originally in 2009 it was like it really felt like the first real thing i did mm-hmm. because it was part of my sort of the 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 vision i'd had for something creative for myself when i was very young um, music was something that was like a an unnecessary bonus
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, which is also maybe why it was so much easier for me to do music because then it didn't feel like such a struggle it was just something that happened accidentally almost.
0: When you talk about music not feeling possible when you were younger, was it something you wanted that was out of reach or just something that you never entertained the thought of?
2: I don't think I knew how you could be a musician and I also don't think that I saw myself as somebody who could be a musician because I wasn't really interested in instruments. Um, But then I started recording on this very small four-track recorder that I got and um, and I realised that I can't play an instrument like an instrumentalist and be a music, musician in that way but i can record so um, so that kind of for me was a lot more like writing than this so-called writing of music mm-hmm. um, and so that became to me very connected to writing words um, and it yeah so, so I, beca- I sort of became a musician by by recording
0: and you said you had a sense of like a creative, like a desire to fulfill some kind of creative vision from when you were very young. Is that something you can kind of give shape to or kind of define what that was at that young age? Or when did it start kind of taking more of a form?
2: Well, I wrote the book when I was six. It was really it was two pages long. I mean, everyone's done this, I'm sure. I also made um, VHS, paper VHS tapes, and I wanted to have a video rental shop. So I had two dreams. <laughs>
0: Do you remember any of the titles from your video
2: rental shop? No, but I remember that I had a, I had a special section for over 65. <laughs> <laughs> because I, was, I noticed that there was, like, age, age you know, different age limits. Mm-hmm. So that's not what you call it, but I don't know the English terms for these things. Yeah, um, yeah. So I decided that, oh, it shouldn't stop at 18. Why? Why stop there, you know? You could have, like, 70.
0: Was it things that were restricted for 65+, plus, or you had to be 65 to watch them? You
2: had to be 65-plus
0: to watch them, yeah. (laughs) Do you have a sense of what content was in those imaginary films?
2: I think a lot of swimming, which which would probably be good for me right now also, Mm -hmm. with my back. I'm 65-plus.
0: And then um, how did it develop from those kind of, like, juvenile things that everybody does? When did you start thinking, this is a thing I could maybe do? Well,
2: I always thought writing was something I could do because it was so easy to actually do. Um, and because I could make books and um, comics and fanzines, it was so close to making an actual book. Mm-hmm. And it was it was not, like, it wasn't as easy. I mean, I could, I rec- I could record on a, a cassette, but I couldn't multitrack. So... I could, you know, cut as many layers I wanted, as I wanted. So it was just, um, it, it felt more possible. And it was closer to what we learned about art in school. Mm. And it was also something that wasn't, I didn't feel like I needed a skill to write. Whereas with music, I felt like I needed to be like um, a skilled composer or a skilled musician on an instrument. It was. It's still kind of divided into this many in many situations, mm. at least as a profession. And I didn't understand it. But writing was more like this unified, I just sit here and write, and then I make a book cover kind of thing. Were you a zinester? Did you make zines as a teenager? I did, but I didn't share them with anyone because I was probably the only one doing it, at least the only girl doing it in my very small town. Yeah. So I, I, I made... Um, Various things, like I, I used to be very into horses when I was very young, so I made a bunch of very interesting horse comics um, <laughs> that my mom kept. And then when I was, um, I mean, yeah, I, I made a ton of different things, but um, I didn't keep all of it, mm-hmm. thankfully. I used to hide it, and this is very, now like an autobiography, but um, I used to hide it in my desk that had a, this little drawer on the side, would hide my explorations and sexuality through bad comic fanzine making. Mm-hmm.
0: I feel like everybody has that teenager urge to destroy your slightly younger kind of teenage self and mm. then you grow up and wish you'd kept it.
2: Yeah, it was it was kind of nice because I made my own thing instead of just going online and finding porn. I had to invent <laughs> my own was probably slightly different. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember that.
0: Um, it's funny you talk about um, writing being a thing you felt that you didn't need a skill for, because then you did go to university to study it. Mm. Is that, when you went to Melbourne, was that your undergraduate or your yeah. master's?
2: it was my undergraduate degree, and I didn't actually start there. I started um, in Oslo because I, I, I wanted to go and study creative writing, although I didn't know it existed, so I thought I'd, I'll study English then for some reason I just wanted to go abroad Um, but I couldn't afford going here or to America Mm -hmm. so I ended up in Australia with a media (laughs) degree Um, so I was in Perth for one year trying to sort of pursue that and try to make films Um, but then I was very unhappy there and I thought I'll have to go somewhere else and then I found the University of Melbourne which had this weird um, creative arts degree where I could do writing and I tricked the Funding, Norwegian student loan um, agency into thinking that it was a media study thing because I'm not sure if they would fund creative writing.
0: Mm-hmm. It's logical that you, it was cheaper to go to Australia than it was to come here.
2: Yes, I mean at the time it was, it's weird because I come. I mean Norway is a country with a good. At least until you have to start paying the student for the student loan. Um, it's got a good like student funding body, and and um, and at the time it was just really easy to go to Australia. It was cheap, and you got this special scholarship. Mm-hmm. So I went. So you had started writing and
0: kind of you know coming up with your own like creating your own worlds. Um, did you have a sense of like a larger liter- literary canon that you were interested in, or you thought you might want to you know? Work in that kind of tradition? Mm.
2: Well, I realized that I had different interests than studying the Norwegian literary canon for sure um, when I was quite young. And I very early on started reading also online, so I would find different texts than I, I knew you could even look at in depth in, at the University of Oslo or other like Norwegian universities. So I sort of knew that I had other. Interests that, to me, were closer to um, a sort of subversive art language, maybe, or, or a, like an underground canon, maybe. Mm-hmm.
0: Who was that at the time? Because I guess what was underground then is probably quite overground now.
2: Oh yeah, no, it wasn't very underground, but it was my idea of it. I think okay. I guess <laughs> so. It would be anything from Story of the Eye because I found it on the internet to um, to stuff that is very. Um, to stuff that is very sort of modernist classics here, but maybe not so much in Norway. Um, So it would be anything from Joyce to... Now I'm trying to remember things. But but it would be a lot of pretty mainstream stuff, but maybe a little, little tougher than the... What you would generally read, I guess.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, um, it's obviously really broad. But is there a way you could characterize the kind of thing that you would read in growing up as a young person in Oslo?
2: Well, I. Thing you didn't relate to. What I was. um, Now I'm just trying to remember. See, I, I also read. I mean, I read things that I didn't really understand what was. At some point, I started reading a lot of plays. And, but I wasn't so interested in Norwegian. I mean, I would, basically, I wasn't interested in um, agreeing with the Norwegian canon. So I would try as much as I could to avoid, like, Homsun and Ibsen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would rather read... I remember I read Ionesco. Yeah. And I remember I read Beckett plays. And, and um, that, to me, just seemed like a way out. <coughs> and then, yeah. From, from there I went to other things and then in Australia I just realised that there was, at, at least where I was studying there was a much wider um, or a much more open sort of idea of genre. Mm-hmm. So I got to read um, in some subjects very standard fiction stuff. I would I would study like Hemingway short stories um, but then I would also read Anne Carson mm-hmm. and get an understanding of, of um, literature that really jumped or didn't care so much of, about genre or didn't care so much, I mean that that's maybe putting it very simply but but also literature that didn't care so much about whether it was slightly academic or not or whether it was mixing um, autobiography, essay and fiction into one. So it all led to Chris Krauss but I didn't read her until um, 12 years later.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna get to this, but like, how did you feel then when you found Chris Krauss like 12 years later? It kind of seems like the kind of thing you were always searching for. Mm.
2: I felt a bit like th- the same way as I did when I discovered um, this Norwegian um, jazz singer Karin Kirog, who um, released some really sort of out there albums in the late 60s and 70s. Um, it was just something that made me think that I could do this, and I think that that's how so many people would feel. I mean, that's that's the feeling you get when you uh, people people who who write will have these moments. I guess everyone will, but but to me, that was like um, it was finding a place, like a home for actual thinking, rather than trying to fit into something. But I, by that time, I'd written this book mm-hmm. and struggled through that.
0: So, tell me about the, the origins of this book. Is it something you start writing when you're in Australia or come back? Because I guess a very basic biographical read might make associations between being a Norwegian student in a foreign sure. country.
2: Yeah, yeah, and there's definitely um, big parallels, like especially the, the, this kind of general um, narrative of being a student, an uh, overseas student. Uh, was definitely, I took a lot there from, from my own sort of arrival in different places I've been. Um, I was lucky enough to arrive three times in a new place to study, so I had a bit. <laughs> I could spread it out, mm-hmm. um, but I, I did. Um, I did start writing it when I was in Scotland, and I missed my Ryanair flight, mm-hmm. and they made me wait for a day. So I said, "Thanks, Ryanair." Um, <laughs> but so that's maybe why I decided that it wouldn't be. Um, Australia I think if I wrote it now I would just say well I I was in Australia but I don't care I sort of wanted to make it a little um, less my own my own sort of experience of place Mm -hmm. so I decided to sort of make up a place instead and be a little bit fantasy about that Um, but a lot of a lot of the general sort of the language ideas and the ideas about how food feels in the mouth and colors and 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 traveling it's definitely something that i was thinking about a lot i mean these these things are very general but i think the general things are interesting because you see them as you see them anyway
0: It's funny that you talk about it as being kind of more of a fantastical place because I thought you skewered like English culture, English student culture very well. Like you say, that bit where uh, Joanna's at the um, hostel right at the beginning, I don't know if everybody here has read it, and she's eating soft English food for the first time and Mm. you say the only thing that crunches in her mouth is the sugar Mm. and it's not like you know rough Norwegian food. Um, Was the UK somewhere you had spent much time or was it kind of very much like a conceptual idea?
2: Well, I'd spent some time here and I also felt like Australia was... At least with the soft food. Mm-hmm. Um, remember that this is also in a very cheap place, so there there is probably a lot of crunchy food here that is not in the book. Um, but this kind of this kind of hostel breakfast, mm-hmm. I remember this when when I was travelling. How it was that the the English stuff was always so smooth, and that's not a compliment. <laughs> um, because I think Norwegian. Food I've grown up with is just tougher. or mm-hmm. just a bit tougher. It's really not saying anything about Norwegians. No,
0: um, I I always love this. Uh, the German word for whole grain food is Ballaststoffe, which just sounds so oh, kind yeah. of like violent. I don't know if it's similar in Norwegian. Oh.
2: It's better well, than the word whole grain anyway. I mean, the translation would be Ballast. That's a good word. Um, it's like weight, mm-hmm. weighty food. Yeah. Or experienced food. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: I feel like the other way that you kind of skewer Britain and maybe Australia really well is um, all of the English people that Johanna runs into, they're always obsessed with the fact that she can speak such good English, which I feel like to English people, like as a nation, we're very bad at learning languages. It's not something that's enforced in school. It's kind of the ultimate sign of assimilation, and they praise her for it, but she doesn't feel assimilated whatsoever. Mm. I it was really interesting. I think
2: that's a certain sadness that, that I had myself... But I've also had it um, with literature. Um, this kind of realization that you haven't... You try so hard to understand a language and disguise where you're from. That's part of the game of, of um, going to other places, at least for me. Um, try to sort of assimilate. But then you realize that I didn't hear those songs when I was five. I didn't have uniforms in school. There were, there were just so many... Common things, or um, things people have in common that I'm left on the outside with. And I was, I, I was, um, I wanted to sort of transfer those feelings um, into the book, I think. Mm-hmm. This, it's kind of interesting when you really try to be invisible or reinvent yourself, how you're still, you don't know where, you, you have nowhere to go because you can't really, you can never be from that place that you went to, you can just lose wherever you came from and be sort of without in a weird way Mm -hmm. or in between, which is not a place at all.
0: I was thinking that a lot about Johanna. Like, um, a lot of students, whether they're foreign students or just anybody going to university for the first time, you have the desire that you're going to completely reinvent yourself. But I feel like... With her, it's almost like she was that person already. But then mm-hmm. it's coming; she comes to this place where everything feels very natural. To her. like living in the kind of rotten warehouse, it feels natural. It brings something out of her that was already there, rather than it being
2: a reinvention. Maybe. Yeah, it's um, it's a, also a place where she can bring. I mean, she can sort of fuse, um, pr- like theory and practice, kind of mm-hmm. like th- she can be studying mycology and then go home and because the place is so new and she is so invisible in the way that she's used to being visible in her own country, she can sort of see it happening for real. Um, So in that sense, it's like a wonderland, Mm -hmm. which is also why it's a bit naive. (laughs) But it also then, I mean, naivety creates the opportunity for writing in a different way or seeing things differently. So it it isn't always like a, I mean, it's definitely at this time I was writing. I was also very, very. Um, I just remember finding these old, um, these old sort of homemade press releases that I made for labels when I sent out demos to labels in like two thousand four, and I was writing something in them like about myself and how I wanted to be. Um, I, I, like there was something really powerful about being naive. And I was wanting to take over the world with something really naive, Mm -hmm. Um, but then I think it was when I when I released music, it was seen as something that was fragile and limited. But I meant it as something absurd and huge and transcendent, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) And is
0: that how you like looking back on this book now? You know, nine years later, and reading it in a different language,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. does it does it still kind of feel that way now?
2: I think, I mean, it definitely still has. For me, it's much easier to read it now because I struggled so much with writing it in Norwegian. Um, at the time, I had not um, written very much in my own language for very long. Um, I'd been studying in English, so I was. Um, I felt like I, I had to write um, very. I mean, I couldn't be direct in Norwegian. I had to sort of always think about this architecture of language, like placing things in a room when I wrote. So, I'd, in in many ways, I did. I ended up not enjoying the writing process so much. But when I reread it in English, I did find that the the directness came back. Also, because the passing of time, and I can't remember writing it so mm-hmm. so much anymore. Um, and I think it does have it. It does have that. Um, sense of being naive but also then being brave about how you see things this kind of also the naivety which is about being young and just letting things happen mm-hmm. and seeing where they take you and just try to follow and follow with your mind as well so when things just happen in this um, house that Joe lives in she just lets it happen and I guess I was afraid when I wrote the book that it would come across as very passive but I do see it now as like an opportunity to just see another like see where language can take you and see where the different gaze can take you Um,
0: I I wanted to get onto that but um, I wondered if you could talk about the motif of the warehouse it's such a kind of striking image
2: it is I mean it's a place I've actually lived and two people who live there are here tonight Uh, but they're not in the book don't worry <laughs> um, yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's an old brewery which I, I think that that's something I invented um, and it's, it's a place where there are no real walls and I guess there are lots of those houses around Like mm-hmm. before everything got super gentrified and expensive when there were warehouses involved there was this in between phase where there was no longer an actual warehouse somebody bought it and put up some like makeshift walls maybe that didn't go all the way to the ceiling put in some kind of weird toilet bathroom situation and then like seven students or travelers or people weird people moved in and lived there you know it's a bit super like a, a very sort of con- like a world of constant transformation with people in and out um, and everything fluctuates. Nature moves in because it's not done properly. Um, humid. All kinds of things can grow there. But then, in the end, you know, gent- gentrification grew there, and uh, it's it. It's probably yeah. It's probably now a super expensive, fancy building with three apartments that are very expensive. Mm-hmm.
0: I really loved in the pitchfork Review when they described it as a terrarium that felt like the perfect kind of word like something that like cacti yeah. and stuff grow in that's always really humid. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but talking about like Yana's Yana's decision to like live there and not being phased by anything that's in front of her, I wanted to talk about the role of disgust in the book because I feel mm. like most people, if their house was full of like rot and silverfish and a lady who sometimes pees on them in the middle of the night, they mm. would want to move out quite quickly. But yeah, she's I say. she's never mm. repelled by those things. Yeah. But she does express repulsion towards well the men in the book, kind of primarily. Mm. But she, so she has that yeah. facility.
2: I just think that maybe. Um, well, I call her Joe. Okay. You're being very Norwegian, which is great. So I'm using the the foreign name, and you're using the what she comes from. Okay. Which is, <laughs> you should keep doing it. Um, but I think that she is, um, she well, she first of all it has to do with her studies. So she, it's in a way like natural, and it's a way she can actually see the world. Um, in a way that is more real than this, this kind of separated world that is the actual houses, mm. the, the, the world of culture. She can sort of be in a world of nature, which to her is comforting. And I also think that what she is repulsed by is more the, the normative, so the, the, the aggressive male sexuality is to her something that is not just in opposition to her but also to nature so it doesn't fit like it doesn't make sense in in this world and so that the entire place goes against ideas that i mean the word natural is a bit horrible but in this book i don't think it's so much about being natural it's more about being um being being in connection with nature mm-hmm. so being like Looking at how plants grow and seeing that, and it's, it's sort of some kind of natural metaphor for sexuality rather than domination and and um, binaries.
0: There's something definitely very uninhibited and intuitive about the way that she and Carol behave. Whereas mm. the is it two or three men in the book? There's Carol's boss and there's Pim. Mm. They behave in very kind of te- stereotypical, kind of prescribed male way, like behaviour.
2: Yeah, yeah. Maybe they don't want to, but. If, to Joe, at least, they do. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, she's very repulsed by it. Um, and also she sort of starts... But she also starts seeing them almost like captives of the... She, she kind of wants to break them down, mm-hmm. like uh, something that rots. So I think that the, 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 the building, the warehouse, is a place where she can also see patriarchy rot mm-hmm. and see ideas that repulse her or ideas she doesn't understand um, culture cultivates yeah yeah ferments
0: um, that I did like the idea that rotting is never repellent like I really love the mushroom in the bath who's just like a friend reading over mm. her shoulder when she's reading the trashy book um, And then also I remember with your album Apocalypse Girl, like critics really picked up on this idea of softness. And um, you said something, when I interviewed you a few years ago, you said um, there's so much of human experience that's not possible to contain in sensible language and realistic stories, which really struck with me. And so I wondered if there was like a sense of wanting to kind of reclaim these functions that people do think of as like fetid or um, uh, impotent, I suppose.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think that there's a lot of that at work in the book and in my work in general. I think it, I mean, on some level it is because I know that I've, I've tried things out, I know that I'm that certain ideas of, whether it's rock or whether it's um, masculinity or whether it's, it's um, certain things I don't understand about behavior or sexuality or even art, um, they're not available to me, so I have to find other ways of Working, um, so that is part of it. This inner seeing, like my my limitations, my compromises, as as being me in, inside all this artwork or the work. Um, but there is also, I think that for for me, working through those things and finding softness is some some kind of hope as well. Like it's a, it's um it's finding hope. Now I'm like two inches from um, reciting pop songs that I'm not (laughs) going (laughs) to hopeless place etc but I just yeah for me writing is finding other places and hopeful places so you can repeat the question I could keep answering if you want (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) Um, I want to talk about um, trash as well Mm because you know in the book Carol is a literature graduate but she comes back to this book it's called Moon Lips Moon Kiss yes Moon Lips. Moon Lips. Um, Which seems like a very, well, kind of more of like a steamy, erotic Mills and Boone kind Mm. of thing. Mm. But then also on your last album, Blood Bitch, like there was, um, I think a lot of the imagery was inspired by these like, B-movie zombie workout videos, mm. and you talked about um, I Love Dick in that and about how Chris Krause makes m- rejection and femininity, which are seen as bad things, into mm. their own kind of art form. Yeah. So I just wanted to ask about your relationship yeah. with Trash, because it seems quite long-lasting.
2: Yeah, there's a, let's not forget Charmed is in there too. Oh yeah, Charmed. Because yeah. <laughs> I mean, I started writing this in 2005, mm-hmm. so uh, now they're making a new version. Um, <laughs> but I think that my relationship with Trash... Or whatever it is. Um, let's call it trash in the beginning of what I'm saying at least, um, has changed a lot over the years. I remember when I wrote this, I was in a phase where I still thought of it as like guilty pleasures. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'd never really read much romantic or like erotic fiction in that sort of more um, in that sort of genre um but since i wrote this i mean since i wrote this book it's become less of a sort of return to normality because i think that that's maybe it's symbolizing something in the character carol which is like you 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 go for this um this more kind of generic um world of art that is that you like, that you learn, like is canon, that is good writing. If you're a literature student, mm-hmm. and then you give it up later on, and you become a yoga teacher, or like it's something completely different, or you start just reading for other reasons, and maybe getting into what we call, would call trash, um, but it's just a different sort of attraction to art or to words. Um, I think though that in this book it's also a little bit about um, fermenting also this is a little bit about letting the ideas of what she learned was good literature maybe rot a little bit Mm -hmm. maybe that maybe she also reads this moon lips book um, because of the warehouse and how things are cultivated there so maybe she has a different view on the together. This is not really explored, this is what I imagine now. But um, but since, since writing this book, well, because back then I was pretty pretentious and I was still sort of a little...
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50
1: pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right?
2: Um, a kind of avoiding but also having this love-hate relationship to you know, watching TV in general or like series or being drawn into romantic comedies or whatever. Um, since then I've, I've been quite... I've, I've worked with different things and sort of realised that um, I'm really interested in sort of being led by what I'm drawn to. Yeah. So... So I've I've ended up with a um, little bit of an easier uh, or more nuanced relationship to a lot of things that I might have considered trash earlier on in my life. I've been um, and that's also something like when I say that I really enjoyed Chris Kraus, like it felt like coming home. It also felt like ah I can think now about all these things, both the things I've I always talk about that I like and all the things that I never talk about with other people that I like because it's not really about w- which things you read or see or choose to listen to. It's about how. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've worked with quite a bit of um, erotic cowboy fiction and, mm-hmm. and not written it, but I've, I've, I've just really enjoyed, especially putting it into music, like Blood Bitch also, like with these... Um, these sort of failed pieces of horror, or B movies, or I just f- find that you just have to find a different gaze there and see see them for for what they are. These these movies, especially that I kept watching for Blood Bitch, and it kind of changed my view on cinema. To watch so many, um, this was especially Jess Franco movies. And he's made so many, so I'd got just watched like a hundred of them, maybe or maybe (laughs) fifty. Let's reduce a little bit. Um, But but it's it's just um, a really interesting thing to look at a ton of so-called failed art, and start to get into why people view them as failed, or movie critics see them as failed, and it's because of the comparisons to ridiculously um, inappropriately. Other like other, other things like comparing a B movie to Citizen Kane it doesn't make <laughs> sense I mean there's no point um, but if you still do it then one is going to come out bad and one's com- going to come out good and it sounds a bit like Star Wars and that's not what criticism should or is about mm-hmm. like finding the good and the bad and all that stuff so uh, yeah I, I think that working with um, being drawn to things that are not necessarily good products As you you would say, as you wouldn't say, um, is something that has, to me, been like a real eye opener to how you can talk about the world and how you can write. Mm -hmm. It's
0: interesting because I guess on one hand, it's like you're saying you can look at like so-called trash culture and accept it for what it is. But I feel like you know maybe in the last nine years since you've written this book, there's a whole new critical cultural perspective on so-called trash culture, which mm. actually elevates it to something much higher than that. Yeah. You can read 6,000 words about the Kardashian 12 different ways if yeah, you want yeah. to. I read about um, this very good new food show on Netflix. Somebody had written like a 3,000-word essay on why it was good, because it was Marxist. And I was like, oh, I thought it was good because it was just about nice food and the ladies nice, but okay. But, like, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. What happens, where does it leave radical art when we praise middle-brow yeah. things yeah. as being super yeah. highbrow?
2: Well, the thing with... Um yeah, I, I think about this a lot. And the thing with the, the Jess Franco movies is that I, I, I did find them quite radical because, because they were aware of what they could have been if, if Franco had had proper equipment and wanted to really go for a big budget. Mm-hmm. But they were made in a, in a way that made them more radical because he wanted to make movies more than he wanted to wait for the budget and negotiate with film companies. So I think there's always, like, a negotiation with capitalism in there as well. And and so, like, sometimes I find that I I come across something on YouTube that someone just made. And even though you, you could say that, you know, I, I, I don't want to... I am very critical of of this idea that you can just write, think, piece, like, you can think piece yourself to making an, anything radical. Mm-hmm. But it's but there's still value in in sort of following the money or following where the money doesn't want to go. Mm -hmm. Um, That is something that I find can, not always, obviously, but you can find something like a radical potential there that I think is necessary to look at. Mm -hmm. And that's why I sometimes get a little sad that people choose to write so much about the Kardashians as something radical. Although I think, I mean... it has its value, but um, but I think that there, it, there is a lot to say for for following where the money doesn't go, mm-hmm. and the money definitely goes in that direction. Yeah, you just can't argue with that.
0: Um, as well as you're um, writing books, I know that you've also worked as a critic in Norway. What kind of things do you write about?
2: Well, I'm I wouldn't really call myself a critic, though I, I have great respect for criticism. And I never that that was never something that I feel like I could do very well. But I I certainly tried. I was writing for a few years. I had a column in a in a newspaper every three weeks, um, and I tried to write about music that nobody else wrote about. Although it would not necessarily that wouldn't mean that, that it was all underground stuff. I I had this project for a while where I tried to write about very um, quiet things because I felt like there the, were, yeah, I, I just tried to find holes but that was also maybe more about how I wanted to write like what what is avoided when you write about music and how can I investigate those holes a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't think I succeeded but I maybe I'll come back to it one day and keep trying. I mean criticism to me was always just like keep trying and then three months later i thought some like if i'd reviewed an album i had changed that you had changed so i really what i really wanted to do was a column where i reviewed the same album mm-hmm. over and over every three weeks for like a year <laughs> or maybe once a year i would write a new review that would be great i think it's a great idea yeah hmm.
0: Um, just coming back to the book quickly, um, you know, at the end, um, Jana finds this like surge of strength and she breaks free, which that was unexpected. I wasn't mm. expecting that in the book. I thought that she would kind of get you know swallowed up like by vines. Mm. Where do you think she gets that strength from to kind of break away?
2: See, I don't. I don't. This is something I can't. I don't think I have a good answer because um, I think the book resisted an ending. A little bit. I think also that I, I didn't want um, this world where things just happened to just um, swallow everything. I think I really wanted for her to find a way out when it got find a way out of the rotting place, and maybe also then try to find a place for her sexuality that was um, that wasn't so dark. Because it did get quite dark, and I just I think that when, when it got biblical, which was a surprise to me, because all of a sudden you know obviously there were apples, and I was like oh god here are the <laughs> apples, but but I kept writing about that, and in the end I sort of invented this um, this after after the fall story of what happened to the apples. Everyone's just concerned with Adam and Eve, Eve mostly actually because she's the female, um, but what happened to the apples? And then I'd created the story of the apples, and I think that's that's the place Joe needed maybe to get away from, to sort of find a new place instead, or just keep creating new worlds. Mm-hmm. But also, I think it was me not being able to finish a novel like a novel and wanting it to be um, and more like a song, song lyric, um, dissolve a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think I was also listening to way too much um, laughing stock.
0: Oh, yeah, the the album. album. Yeah,
2: yeah. So I I just, I was in that the dissolving kind of mood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think
0: there are elements of the relationship between Joe and Carol that seem like really, really progressive now, but I wondered, you know, at a distance from nine years, how you reflect on that portrayal of like mm. a queer relationship.
2: Yeah, I find it a little problematic. I, I think that if I'd written it now, I would, or I, I don't think I could write it now because I think that, um, so much has happened since 2009 also in the, the world that is my world um, in terms of how people talk about politics people talk about sexuality um, but I'm also kind of glad that this comes out and it's old and it's naive in that sense that I really didn't think of this as a, a queer relationship gone bad mm-hmm. I was really thinking about this as a as like something that just happened, something that's um, exploration of the natural world maybe how the world should be for these characters um, so that naivety which which prevented me from seeing this kind of oh well queer relationships they just go bad <laughs> yeah um, that was certainly not my intention but maybe I would have thought that if I wrote this now and it would have required a different ending or something mm-hmm. um, but yeah it's it's an interesting it's interesting how much has changed in that respect, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah, I feel like people are very fully aware of... Like, TV shows can't get away with just killing off the lesbian in episode two anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is
2: good. And also, yeah, I mean, where where things were... I mean, things are still ambiguous, (coughs) but it's it's much... Like, things do have a tendency to be a little more defined now. And this book is from a time when things weren't so defined mm-hmm. and where i mean my my writing was certainly inspired by a lot of 70s and 80s like french feminism that was maybe much more about language and gazes than actual um, queer lives mm-hmm. so it has some kind of in some way it's more about art and how to view things than it is about a relationship which is good because it doesn't it, if you were to read it just like a, a realist kind of a realistic um, relationship it would be weird mm-hmm.
0: yeah i was definitely surprised um at the point where um i think i can i think it's when they go out with um johanna's friends mm. where um carol's kind of flirting with her outside the bathroom and you realize that despite the in, the intensity of the language that's been used to describe their union and the fact that they've been in bed together mm. you realize that they've actually never kissed at this point and it's mm. probably about two-thirds of the way through at that, mm. uh, by then
2: yeah, and I also don't think that um, it's. I think it's weird to Joe also that that things that like the, the intimacy that happens in the house is then reduced to like flirting. The word flirting mm-hmm. is that how can how can this thing that I am experiencing be reduced into this stupid mainstream word flirting? I mean, that's something I can definitely recognize mm-hmm. from my thoughts as an adolescent. Like all these like. Um, really big thoughts, really big feelings, and then hearing someone else speak about them and, and it's like what flirting <laughs> because it's such a standard. it's like you know when you you meet someone and then someone calls it dating mm-hmm. or a boyfriend, girlfriend that this kind of these normal words yeah,
0: and also especially when you're the age that she is in the book and you're experiencing all of these things for the first time, mm. it's impossible to think that they are so codified. Mm. Um, I'm curious about um, when the book came out in Norway, how was it received?
2: So the first review that I got was in a big Norwegian newspaper. I think that I was a little bit known for my music at the time, which was good and bad. Good, I got a bit of press. Bad, people were very sceptical. It's like, oh, you're a model and an actress. Mm It's a little bit like that. So um, the first review I got... On my way to when I was I was reading it on my way to a very sort of esteemed, very cool avant-garde poetry festival that I was so thrilled to be invited to, and and after reading it, I just wanted to go back home. Um, So it was an interview that I did on one side of the tabloid paper, and then the terrible review was on the other page um, about how nothing happened, so there was no narrative. So I think it was like mixed. Mixed criticism. Some liked it, some thought it was just not a novel or not n- not enough action or what was this, like dissolving too much. Um, so I didn't really like it. And also everyone thought it was set in Melbourne, which insinuated that everyone thought it was autobiographical, mm-hmm. which insinuated that all writing by quite young female writers is always autobiographical, and therefore you can belittle it by saying, it's set in Melbourne, or it just felt belittling. Um, Maybe this is my own world also, that that I felt very little um, publishing a book because it was such a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. But I also think that I, I, um, I, I did feel like it wasn't taken very seriously. Certainly by some, maybe, but not at the time, um, not by everybody. It was maybe seen as this kind of weird little... I mean, my, my, when I publish books, a lot of people still see it this way. It's like, oh, oh that musician. Or when I release albums in, in Norway, I'll, a lot of people will be a little... Oh, yeah, she's still going. But maybe now I'm reaching the witch age, so that's good. <laughs>
0: um, but did you, like, you know, you, you talked about not really feeling related to the kind of Norwegian canon of literature, but when mm. you started publishing books there, did you find more writers who felt kind of part of the world you wanted to be in, or was it still quite isolating?
2: No, I did. I I'd already knew writers that I felt... I'd, I probably admired their writing more than feeling like we were d- dealing with the same um, topics or... Influences, I certainly have found more people. I think it's changed a lot. It's become more international, and we have more like small press publishers, and and, um, and certainly it's it's become more like pan Scandinavian and international um, over the years. But so yeah, I've slowly found um, found friends. Um, but yeah, it's, it's I, I still do feel like I'm kind of sitting in between doing music, but not really pop music, and at the same time doing literature, but I guess mainly being known for music. Mm-hmm. So this kind of outsider position, which I also am very fond of, but never really pays off.
0: Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting, um, you'd been making music as Rockets of the Sky, and then this book came out, and then you start releasing music under your own name, yeah. and I wondered if the book had anything to do with deciding to take your name as a musician.
2: Um, I still used the Rocket to the Sky name for a while after the book came out, but I think that I always wanted to change it. So um, publishing a book was probably part of the, on, on the way to changing from a band name. The funny thing was that my I've, I've released two albums as Rocket to the Sky and they're even more solo albums than anything else I've done. Mm. So... Maybe that was part of the reason why I had a sort of moniker at the time, because I felt like such a singer-songwriter in, in how I worked. I mean, I, I many, one album I produced myself, and I was the, pretty much the only person playing on it, with a few exceptions. Um, so I guess I had a moniker to sort of bring it out of myself a little bit and keep things separate, but then I just realized that my name will be on books I didn't want a moniker for for me as a writer or a pseudonym, so I gave it up. And also, I wrote the song called "Rocket to the Sky" when I was 19. So it was really, I I like changes. I like rituals. So it was a nice ritual to change Mm -hmm. the name, and it was partly the book for sure. I'm
0: just going to check the time. I don't know how we're doing for the, you know. But oh, we should. um Uh, probably do some audience questions because we've been talking for ages, sorry. Um, So if anybody has one, put your hand up. There's a microphone that will come round. Um, But equally, if you don't, we can keep going. Don't be shy. It doesn't have to be related to anything we've talked about. Did you translate the book yourself?
2: Oh, no, no. No, no, no. No, all credit goes to... (sighs) The translator, Mar- Marjam? Idris.
1: She's here. Oh.
0: Yeah.
2: What? Oh, is that, sorry. I pronounced your name wrong. Well now, <coughs> terrible. <laughs> um, no, that's that's. I I could not translate myself. Um, so I'm very happy not to have taken so much part in it, especially because it's nine years since I wrote it, and I started writing it in English originally. But I had to translate it to get it published in Norway, or even to get you know talk to talk to an editor about it. Um, so it was it was already such a tough process. Yeah, I don't I don't have those English skills to translate.
0: Um, you've got other books as well. Mm. Is there hope to translate those to come out here? I mean, is it a fight to get work translated into English? Yeah,
2: definitely. Um, I hope. It will be the the other books will be translated, but I understand how the I mean the literature world is much slower than I'm most I'm more used to the music world where everything is super super quick, um, and that's good and bad obviously. But um, yeah, I I really wish my new book was out already because that's very recent for me and the thoughts. And that would be thoughts I have at the moment with my music also. So that would be a real pleasure, everybody. Um, Did did it come out in August? Yeah. Is it called Girls Against God? Yeah, that's uh, That's a great name. Yeah, but it's also a zine. (coughs) So it's not, I won't be credited, I shouldn't be credited for it. I just um, named it after a zine and probably have to change it if it is to be published. Unless I, you know, I'm allowed to use it. But it's a fantastic title.
0: Do you want to talk a little bit about the themes that are in that book? I know we not I don't know who in here can speak Norwegian. Most of us probably can't read it yet, but I would love to know more about it.
2: It's um, about, or the, the I like that you just used themes. It's um, it started out as a film script, but then it became a sort of reflection on writing a film instead, but also um, growing up in Scandinavia um through this kind of underground gaze um and especially i was writing a lot about black metal yeah. and what it could have been if it had been like a rioting girl group
0: not full of murderers
2: well it's not full of murderers actually most i mean most black metal people are quite nice and growing up yeah. and you know they're working for the Royal Mail and <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so that, but but the mythology of that, of course, um, reduced something that was like the closest thing Norway got to punk, into something that was just like Viking mythology, and another um, yet another patriarchal um, structure of power. I guess an image of of um, of power. So I wanted to write something where I imagined it to be turned on its head a little bit or at least torn apart and also fused a bit with ideas of Scandinavia slash Northern Europe and ideas of silence and whiteness and and, um, masculinity. Um, Does anybody else have a question? Um, are there certain topics that you think you can only address with your writing whilst others you can only address in your music? I guess you just said that your latest album and your latest book explore similar themes, but do you see like a clear separation in those activities mm. and what they allow you to explore? Well, I do think that I can reflect on things in a different way when I'm writing and I can, I can spend time with words and... Um, expand and keep expanding things and replace what would be music and just kind of fill up a canvas just with words when I write because I have to Um, and write in a more kind of genre-free essay but also fiction-like stream Um, but apart from that And the experience of writing and rewriting, which I don't have so much with my music because I write very fast when I write music. Um, I think that things tend to appear even if I thought they wouldn't. So if I've been thinking about something um, and the thoughts have appeared, maybe in my new book I'll maybe keep writing about it when I write a new album. That's, now I just sound like I'm in products, like my new book and my new album, this kind of thing. But, but, um, but it, things tend to go astray when I've, I have an idea, that oh, this will be a bit separate, this is its own thing now, and then Poof, it appears, um, which is nice.
0: Anybody else down there? One, one. that okay? Yeah. Yes.
1: I was just wondering, I mean, I love your music and I was just thinking, I, mean, I haven't read the book yet, but when you did receive criticism, did that affect how you wrote your music? I mean, for the, you know, the the reception to your novel mm. make you sort of go back and when you were writing music, you were like, oh, did that make you
2: think well, differently? I, th- I think that when, when this book came out in Norwegian, um, I did feel a little... I I didn't wasn't very encouraged to keep writing I wanted to kind of go back to music and um, and do and put more of my work with words into that instead of trying to quickly sort of be a writer Um, so it I guess the reception some like made me feel a little lonely and I wanted to feel like I was more in a community which took me to doing more music and then obviously I got to go and play more outside of Norway and I got to release albums outside of Norway so it kind of was a natural um, progression into more music at the time Um, so yeah I think that I mean I am fairly sensitive that's why I don't often read reviews very quickly, um, but I also think that it's it's nice to be sensitive. And then, when I sit down to try to respond, you know, I always think that ah, blood bitch, I got such good reception. I need to do something completely different. But when I start writing, it doesn't. I can't really. I can't work with my thoughts anymore. Things will just happen anyway. So that's that's nice because I, I I don't try to really really avoid um, hearing people's opinions because I think that that will influence directly what I write I think that there is there is a way I mean I, I like being sensitive and I I, um, I like reacting to things but I also know that my brain and other, other brains too are usually bigger than and more um, experimental than that
0: there was somebody down there. Um, how do you know when it's over? When to stop? Or you said that it dissolved in Paradise Rot, and I just wondered if you well, the, knew when.
2: The funny thing with Paradise Rot was that I had a, um, you know, when you write books you get to work with an editor. And sometimes those editors have a lot to say, like they have a lot they want to express and they have a lot of influence. And I think especially over like a debut. Um, So I think that in, in some ways I never finished Paradise Rot. It just dissolved instead because I didn't really know what to do in the end with the comments my editor made, which maybe is kind of nice. 'Cause if I tried too hard to to find a proper ending for it, I don't think I would have been very happy with it. It would have been like a placeholder for what I would have maybe needed twenty years to find or something. I mean I think most things I still write when they're finished. So but it's nice it's nice to have an editor. I miss it in music. Having an editor. I think that's an it's an unfortunate, I mean, at least really great editors, not the ones that take over your work, but the ones you can talk to and that can make you like really rethink and rewrite and actually say something interesting. That's a bit lacking in pop music, isn't
0: it? Um, there's probably time for one more, if anybody has a question. Oh Over here, Okay.
1: Um, that's really interesting what you say about the book just ending because of course it's, it's cropped up again now in this translation and I wonder if you can
2: see it having any more afterlife if say you can see it being turned into a film perhaps in the vein of some of the kind of shitty FX real and CGI horror films and
1: Blood baths and that kind of thing. Can you see this on screen, having having more of a future again?
2: I can't really. I mean, I don't think anyone would be interested, um, as I am a natural-born pessimist. Um, but if anyone were to want to turn it into a film, I think it would have to be... You know, I can't really see it being a lot of CGI. I could sort of imagine it being a... Made like a cheap effects um, B movie, maybe in 1986. That would be nice. Cronenberg
0: I could also. When I was reading it, I was thinking it'd make a good graphic novel. I mean, yeah. it's just because it's so vivid, all of the textures and stuff. Throughout. That would be
2: more interesting, maybe less bad film music, also. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I think that's probably. All we have time okay. for right Um Thank you all very much for coming. Thank you to
2: Jenny as well. Thank you. Um.
0: Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.